Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. A little installment concerning the greater Exodus. We've been inserting that into the footsteps of Messiah because we know the greater Exodus is part of those footsteps of Messiah. What we ran across over the last few weeks uh, in our Sunday class is some pretty good notes on the Exodus itself, including the 10 plagues. And in that commentary, what I realized is, wow, this is really like a decoder ring for the plagues in Revelation. It helps us understand the basis for what we're reading in the book of Revelation. And so I thought, when I saw the, the Torah portion coming up, I thought, oh, this would be a great opportunity because we've got workbook two, the, this, you know, everything you ever wanted to know about a hornet in terms of the, the bugs that come out of hell, that come from Abaddon and that particular plague. And what you see within those hornets is maybe some of the other plagues. They've got characteristics of more than one plague because remember, those bugs are not normal bugs. These are supernatural bugs that come flying up out of the pit. And so I think that affects how John describes them to us because he can't seem to decide exactly what it is. Maybe it's a locust, maybe it's a scorpion, maybe it's a horse, maybe it's a human being with a woman's hair. What is it? Well, it's not of this world, so he's using the best descriptors he can to describe these hell bugs based on something we would be familiar with. And so taking a look at that, I want to back up to Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 15, because I think that gives us the clue as to where to start looking. It says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, and notice the progression here, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies. Do you see repetition there? Multiplication is going to be a stumbling block here. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out from the land of the house, of, out from the house of slavery. Here's a clue. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. Now we might say, okay, they went through a desert and there were serpents and the scorpions. We've been to the Erevah, we know that. We might have literally stepped on snakes and scorpions in the process. <laughs> it's, it's a geographical location for sure. And these creatures are in that location for sure. But I want to take a look at, you know, Erevah and Midbar are very similar words. I think they're describing different aspects of the same thing. And so when he leads us to the Erevah or when he leads us to the Midbar, it's giving us something very specific to look for. And it's something that had already occurred in Egypt, the plague of the wild beasts. Uh, and you can hear that Arov, Erevah. Do you hear the same root word in there? And it means a mixture. So the danger zone will be mixtures. But we can also see that by reading 
in the Torah portion, yes, there's going to be great judgment on the peoples, there's going to be tribulation on the nations, but do you, did you see how focused the punishment also was on his own people? So everything that happened in Egypt was actually revisited upon the Israelites in the wilderness. That should be sobering. I mean, it is for me. It's very sobering. So he said, what's going to happen is you're going to forget. How many of us are forgetful? How many of you know it's harder to remember to do the blessing after the meal than to say the, the blessing before? Absolutely, because you're eating and you're satisfied and you're sleepy and you're, you're already going on to the next step, which is a nap. But look at the, the progression of forgets. And let's just think of the wilderness right now before we get back to Egypt. Think in the wilderness how many times they forgot. Because every time they forgot, something bad happened. Does that tell us that when we forget things in this wilderness that bad things might happen? Could. Is it punishment or is it discipline? It's discipline if we belong to him. If we're rebellious, if we're like the nations, then we go over into the category of punishment. So it might look like the exact same things are happening to us, but for different purposes. No matter who we are, it's to bring us to repentance. But if you don't come to repentance, it can only be viewed as punishment. Does that make sense? Even with your kids, if they don't repent, it's just punishment. But if they repent, it's discipline. You kind of make a differentiation, don't you? Just depending on their attitude, how are you repentant, are you, that I caught you doing fill in the blank. If they're repentant, then it's not just to punish them. It's to show them the discipline that you love them and you want them to improve. Here's our progression. Here's what happens first. We have enough to eat and we're satisfied. Now that doesn't mean there's not lots of hungry people. In the United States there are, but for the most part, even the hungriest people in the United States don't hold a candle to how hungry some people are on other continents. Yeah. What's considered poor here is really, uh, in some places, would be considered luxurious living in other places. But he says, you'll have enough to eat and then you'll be satisfied. And in the wilderness, he gave them manna. They never had to go hungry. Uh-oh, now they're in a danger zone. When you've had enough to eat is when you're in a danger zone. So they've got manna. He says, you'll build good houses and live in them. Well, at this point, they're, they're still temporary houses. They're tents, but they're living pretty well in those tents. In fact, they even build a big tent and have a big tent revival called the tabernacle. But notice there's a, a point here where he begins to emphasize multiplication. He says, your herds and your flocks will multiply. Did that happen in the wilderness? Sure. I mean, even to the point that you've got these, these tribes over here saying, let us live on the other side of the Jordan where the grazing is better. Your silver and gold will multiply. Did they take a lot of silver and gold out of Egypt? Sure they did. And I'm, I'm also sure because they're on a major trade route there in the Arava, they're probably trading and doing pretty well too because they've got the goods to make good trades. And finally, it just says, all that you have multiplies. Everything you have is going to multiply. In other words, you're going to have more than enough. You will have plenty. The problem with plenty is that with normal human beings, it's never enough. We might have plenty, but we think we need more. Are we all guilty of that? No matter how much we've got against a rainy day, we still think we need more. If one's good, two's better, right? But that's a danger zone because that's when we can go into the mode of lusting 
after the flesh. And it doesn't have to be necessarily sexual immorality. It can be greed. Greed is called idolatry. Wanting more than enough, continually seeking, that can be a danger zone. Because what are you trying to do? You're multiplying. You want to, you have what he gave you, and now you want to keep multiplying, 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 and that can become addictive to the point where you think you can get enough stuff, you don't have to depend on him every day for manna. Well, we don't want to depend on anybody every day for our manna. We want to know that there will be food in the refrigerator tomorrow. Why should we want that dependence upon him? But that's how he wants us to view him, where we will see that no matter what we've got in the refrigerator, the refrigerator can break and you'll lose every bit of that food in the refrigerator. See, we're living in natural circumstances, but he's saying, if you'll depend on me, it'll be supernatural provision. You don't have to worry if the power goes out because if just depend on me, don't worry that much about tomorrow because we will become forgetful. The more stuff we get, the more forgetful we become or can become. The, the risk is there. It's a danger zone. And so what happens is the Israelites get into the wilderness, they start forgetting, and each time they forget, they find themselves at war with their own king. Isn't that crazy? I think we call that civil war. <laughs> when you go to war against your own king and creator. But it says he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. The same wild beast they saw in Egypt are the same wild beasts that came out on them. Remember the serpent issue? They forgot, and they got serpents. So this very wilderness of protection where he's protecting them could become a battleground. And he, he tells us what the problem is. He says it's pride. And that pride can express itself in lust for plenty. In other words, multiplying our wealth. That's the spirit of Babylon, wanting to multiply our wealth. And so we know the presence of Adonai cannot dwell with pride. It just can't. How do you get into the garden with any remnant of pride left in you? You don't. There, there can't be one shred of it. And so when Yeshua was talking to his disciples, remember he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, my goodness, Yeshua, how can anybody get in? Because we've all got tatters of pride. No matter how humble a life we live, we've always got a little bit left in there, and we think we don't until we go through some sort of tribulation that demonstrates to us you just weren't as humble as you thought you were because, see, you think you deserve better in this situation. I'm the only one that's ever thought that right. <laughs> but because he can't dwell with those shreds and tatters of pride that are left in us, he's going to test us out here in this wilderness of the peoples. He's going to test us out here in our Egypt because he doesn't want us trying to drag that across the Jordan where it just won't go any more than a camel can go through the eye of a needle. And like Yeshua, well, how can anybody be saved? Is what they asked him. How could anybody? Well, he says, with God, all things are possible. And he kind of leaves it at that. But then later on, you realize they got it. Because in James 4, 6, Yaakov, Yeshua's brother, and in 1 Peter 5, 5, Peter finally got it. He says, God gives grace to the humble. If you will continually humble yourself, then he will help you identify those shreds and get rid of them. Sometimes when we go through tribulation, he's just basically taking his huge dustpan and sweeping stuff into that dustpan that we didn't know was hidden in our corners. 
but we wouldn't know it was hidden in our corners until we reached a, a good place. You ever notice how you get a high and then you get a low? You get a high, you get a low. So you almost don't want the high because you know a low is coming. <laughs> it's like, oh no, this is a good day. What's tomorrow gonna be like? But he says, this is part, I mean, he, he's not gonna keep us at the low. He's gonna let us experience the highs of being with him to sustain us so that we won't forget. If we stay in the low too long, we might forget. And so we can always have something to look back at and say, you know what, he brought me through that. He brought me through that. And there's something he's working on inside of me right now, and he's going to bring me through this. Because pride is a death sentence. Pursuing wealth for the sake of wealth and not for the kingdom is a death sentence. That's the death sentence of Babylon the Great and Revelation. It's got a lot of graves. There's a lot of graves around this great city called Babylon, and it's people who could never get enough. It's forgetful people, ungrateful people. We know that scripturally, being rich has two sides. It's a contronym. Being rich, the rabbis say, is learning to be content with what you have. If you're content with what you have, then you're actually a rich person. And they use the exchange between Esau and Jacob as an example because Esau says, I have enough. Jacob says, I have everything. <laughs> Slight difference. Esau says, they're sufficient. But Jacob goes beyond, I have everything. What else could I want? And that's that daye new mindset. I have everything. What else? Anything else he gives me after today is gravy on the potatoes, right? It's extra butter on the bread. Anything extra after this point in time, I don't really deserve it, I don't really expect it, but if he gives it to me, wow, that's the rich person. What he has given me is everything I need. And if it doesn't look like so much you know, in the physical realm, you don't worry about it because you know that the treasures that he is holding for you will be more than adequate to sustain you forever beyond this world. There's another side though to being rich. And these are the rich people who are ungrateful for what they have, therefore they are always lusting for more. They're never gonna be satisfied. There's always, I gotta get one more, I gotta get one more, I gotta get something better, I gotta get this better, I gotta be better than this person. And this is the torment of Babylon. The people who were mourning and weeping over Babylon, they're confused. They think having more stuff is being rich. That is the torment of Babylon, being stuck in a mode where you always have to have more. You always have to get a little bit more. And once you get there, you need a little bit more. You'll never be satisfied. See, that's what the soul is. Apart from the spirit, it will never be satisfied. It's the discipline of the spirit that brings it to a state of satisfaction that says, Dayenu, what he's given me is enough. If you're stuck in that mode, and he doesn't want you to be tormented when Babylon the Great is destroyed. All that good stuff that we would like to have, all those pretty dresses in the catalogs, all those shiny hand mixers in the magnolia sale, <laughs> All those things we look at, ooh, look at, wow, I wonder what kind of car that is. I wouldn't mind driving that. Well, we can want them, but we shouldn't lust after them and think that we can't be happy if we don't have that thing. That somehow, you know, God doesn't love us if he doesn't give us that, that really nice car. He does love us, and sometimes that's why he doesn't give it to us. 
He doesn't want us to be tormented when Babylon the Great goes up in smoke, and it will. That mindset will go up in smoke. So, like I said, in workbook two, and in the, the accompanying videos, you learned a lot about the tzila, or the supernatural hornet, and it's actually mentioned in this Torah portion. Uh, that's why we read that, that particular section, so you could see how he would send that hornet out as a plague, but embodied within this hornet are several plagues. So there's, there's 10 plagues, but what we're going to notice is there's an overlapping of things. This might cause this one, or this might actually be part of this one. I think they'll all boil, boil down to four, and then from there the four will boil down to one, which is the pale horse. It, it just keeps getting smaller and smaller. But that's why it's, it's difficult for John. It's like, okay, it's a hornet, it's a locust, it's a horse, it's a scorpion. It looks like a human being. Of course it looks like a human being. <laughs> Looks like us, doesn't it? But remember, in those lessons, we learned they had two tactics, two main weapons. First, they would shoot venom, and of course, they were created to destroy the enemies of Israel. But if you find yourself at war with your king, you might find out that this seal or this hornet is actually shooting at you. You want to get out of the way of the enemy, for sure. You don't want to get between them. So first, he will cut off the root and the fruit, basically he will render you sterile. You, you can no longer make fruit, and then he will blind your eyes. He will confuse you. Those are the two main weapons. And what I would like to do is go through the 10 plagues, and based on this pattern of the wars of kings that were given from the Exodus, show you how we can take those 10 plagues go to the book of Revelation and get a better idea of what we're facing in our generation, where we can link it to a specific thing that we can look and say, that's happening. It's happening right now. Because I think the bugs might be out. I don't know if the whole nest is out. I got a hold of a wasp nest <laughs> down in Mississippi. I don't know if the whole nest is out or if we've just got a few buzzing around. If this is a few, I, I don't, you know, I, I really don't want to see the nest. But one thing we remember is in that wilderness, as long as the Israelites remembered their king, when they didn't forget the serpents and the scorpions, the wild beasts couldn't touch them. When they forgot, the serpents were loosed upon them. So this plague of mixed wild beasts in Egypt included scorpions and serpents. In fact, Rashi says it included all sorts of harmful beasts and snakes and scorpions in a dis ordered assortment following the tactics of the wars of kings. So this, this plague of wild beasts is, is a clue here of how the, the plagues are going to be in a, they're going to appear to be chaotic. There's not going to appear to be much organization to it. It's going to be disordered because that's the nature of it. It's confusion, number one, because remember the second thing that Silla does is confuse you. He'll blind you. There really is a paradigm though. There really is an order to it. And the order to it is based on how ancient kings conducted siege warfare. And warfare hasn't changed much, by the way. When I started thinking of the things I knew about the, the wars in the Middle East, the things I know from watching maybe a summary of the news of the war between Ukraine and, and Russia, I say, oh, the tactics are still the same. They're using the exact same tactics. Maybe different orders sometimes, but that's what we see in Revelation. He shakes up the order, and he can do that. So if we're going to study 
the exodus, uh, the greater exodus, assuming that Revelation is describing to us something of that, then to understand the second, we need to go back and study the first because the pattern, the orders of what happens will be there. So just right quick, remember our 10 plagues. We've got blood, frogs, either lice or gnats, depends on your translation, wild beasts, pestilence, and sometimes the wild beasts are called uh, flies. And they can include flies, by the way. Pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and the death of the firstborn. These 10 plagues, remember, were to destroy a king who would not repent. One king who would not repent. In Revelation, there will be many kings, many rulers, many governments that will not repent. If you want to look those up, they're Revelation 6.15, Revelation 17.2, Revelation 17.18, Revelation 18.3, Revelation 18.9, and Revelation 19.19. Yes, I will make the PDF available. <laughs> but each of those references references the kings. So as we're talking about the wars of kings as the pattern, Revelation keeps reminding us that this is a war of kings. The king of kings against the kings. These kings, these governments, will be destroyed like Pharaoh, and they're going to get swallowed up in their own sea flux of confusion. That's a tactic that was often used. He would just send confusion on the enemy army, and they'd fall on each other and run away. But what interests us especially is he's also going to use the exact same tactics, not just on the wicked, but upon the wicked among Israel, the forgetful among Israel the unrepentant among Israel. He's going to clean up his own house. And he started that in Egypt. In fact, what did uh, Rabbi say? Uh, they estimate that maybe 80% of the Israelites never left Egypt because they disappeared in the plague of darkness. They were weeded out because they were never going to repent. And if you get out into the wilderness with folks like that, it's even worse than just the forgetful people. <laughs> Forgetful's worse than just plain wicked. So there will be a certain percentage of the house of Israel that will be taken away in the wilderness of Egypt, which is called the wilderness of the nations in Ezekiel 20, 36. And then after that, there's another wilderness, and this is going to be a wilderness of contention between the house of Israel and their king. Like I say, you don't want to find yourself out in the wilderness fighting your king. And it starts even before Mount Sinai, but after Mount Sinai, they have no excuse. So between Mount Sinai and Jordan, there will be contention, and he will begin allowing these plagues to come upon them when they forget. So like I said, the Arabah is another way of saying Midbar, which is wilderness. Midbar, you can hear in the word, it means uh, the testing of the word. You can hear Devar in there, which is word, with things, Devarim, things. When we say Arabah, I think it gives us more of a description of the enemy itself in the battleground. Because the Arabah in scripture is known to be a wild, predatory mixture of animals. And it's also, within the definition itself, described as a place of sterility. It's a place of sterility, which takes us again back to the tzira, the hell bug. Remember, one of its two jobs, it attacks the root so there can be no fruit. It renders you sterile. That should already be putting some things in your head in this generation. When, once we get to the practical applications, what's going on out in the world today? 
we're about to be rendered sterile if we continued on that path. The plague of wild beasts in Egypt is arof, arof. Like I say, some translations will say flies, but those are wild beasts as well. The arava is formed from the same sharesh, and it is the place where a mixture of wild beasts prey freely. They can mix and match. They can hunt however they want to. They're not, they might be some herd animals, but often you have solitary hunters. So the nature of the battleground is the Arava. It's a desert region. It's a sterile region where naturally things don't reproduce. It's, it has to be a special adaptation for that environment. But Arev also means evening, evening. That's when the day mixes into the night. See how the, the principle of mixture is in every definition? And that's what we have to watch out for, mixing. When we mix things and we don't separate things that should be separated. So I think to help us understand the time that we live in, we've got this, I call it a secret decoder ring that Rashi wrote for us about the wars of the kings. But it helps us to understand how the great city, Mystery Babylon, in Revelation 17:5, and apostate Jerusalem. Jerusalem's going to be judged as well. He's going to extract the wicked out of Jerusalem. And she is also mystically called Sodom and Egypt. So if we are in the wilderness of Egypt, the wilderness of the peoples, then we might already be experiencing the plagues of Egypt, which are designed, if we belong to him, to discipline us. If we refuse to obey him, then we should go ahead and see it as punishment. Just go ahead and put it over in the punishment column. Revelation 11.8 is where you find Jerusalem called Sodom and Egypt. There's a lot of unclean things in Jerusalem right now that need to be cleaned out. And he will do that. And he decimates the enemy in steps. He decimates the wicked kings in steps. He's going to decimate the wicked among his own people in steps. Because with every step, there's an opportunity to repent. So we might look at it like a plague seder. There's going to be an order of things. Rashi to Exodus 8:17, it says, God came against the Egyptians following the tactics of the wars of kings in the order of measures a kingdom takes when it lays siege to a city. And this list is worth writing down. And so I'm going to, like I said, I'll make the PDF available to you. But here's the 10-step the order of a city siege, whether we're talking about a natural war or whether we're talking about the supernatural process where the king of kings is judging the kings of the earth, but he's also judging his own household called Jerusalem. Number one, they attack the city's sources of fresh water. You take the fresh water out first, you make them thirsty. Number two, you use sound to frighten and to confuse. The things they're hearing will frighten and confuse them. Now they use a shofar as an example because the Israelites would use shofars to frighten their enemies because that's the voice of Elohim going out and that should frighten you. Natural kings will always use sound. It's like an advance sort of tactic. You can start planting rumors and it's not hard to do nowadays because that's really all the media is, is a day full of rumors to make you afraid. Well, that's the, 
That's the whole point of using the sound coming into your ears. What you're hearing is supposed to frighten you and confuse you because they have so confused the truth, you have no idea. And once we get AI introduced, who will know the truth? The only truth we will know is it is written because they can make another one looks just like you and make words come out of your mouth you never said and never entertained saying. So does that frighten or confuse you? A little bit. <laughs> But we're not going to forget that the King of Kings is using this as a battle tactic. He's going to allow those rumors. He's going to allow those sounds to go out into the earth to confuse people. Number three, they will use a hail of arrows to pierce the body. A hail of arrows to pierce the body. We would say this is um, a light bombardment on the light scale. The arrows aren't going to hit everybody, but they'll make you afraid. And you won't see them coming. That's how arrows work. They're silent. You don't see the arrow coming, and all of a sudden it's pierced you. All of a sudden you've internalized something that you never saw coming. You guys ever been blindsided? All of a sudden it was on the inside, and it hurt, and you were upset, you were offended, you were angry, and you just never saw that one coming. That's how the, the light siege works. Number four, attack by foreign mercenaries. Attack by foreign mercenaries. These are going to be strangers. You will be a stranger to their ways. And we'll get into that a little bit more as, as we work through it. But remember when he says you're going to serve gods that your fathers did not know? This generation is doing things, no matter how depraved our, our ancestors were, they would have never countenanced this as normal behavior, and yet it's, we're expected to just say that's normal. And if we don't accept it, we're abnormal. The foreign mercenaries will begin to introduce mixtures of things again. And they're not really sold out. They're just for sale. You notice how people get on whatever boats leaving the port this morning on the internet? Whatever everybody's against today, that's what they're against. What everybody's for tomorrow, that's what they're for. They have no stability. They're foreign and they're for sale. And we're going to make some very specific things. I don't know if you two will leave it up there. I might have to leave it on private. Number five, they will seize captives. There's always people out there. Like I said, even in the Second Temple period, when Jerusalem was under siege, they were still able to get certain things in and out of the city. They could buy their sacrificial sheep. You got people in areas around seizing captives. That is the next technique. People start disappearing. Number six is burning. They'll send fire into the city. Number seven is going to, Rick, it's really serious, heavy bombardment. And this is going to go back to where when he says the plague of hail is going to be all the plagues. It's going to be that bad. Heavy bombardment. The arrows, they would just scare you. You didn't see them coming. The heavy bombardment, you're going to know it's coming. Like, incoming, and it's always going to be incoming during those periods. Number eight, you've already had the, the shock troops, is what they're called, of the mercenaries who will run in there and do things to you and then withdraw. Now comes the main army. It's going to be a large army attack. The great forces will come and attack you. And, of course, this will be the locust, but I'll, I'll help you overlay that on the next one. Number nine is going to be imprisonment. It's going to be similar to number five, seizing captives, but you can actually imprison an entire city if you seal it off. And the last one is going to be execution of the leaders. Execution of the leaders. Those 10 things, we say, well, that's, that's for the enemy. Yes, 
but he will also exercise these upon his own house to discipline them and to bring them to repentance. So now I'm going to do the same thing, but and if you did list those, I'm going to tell you the plague to put beside them. And just before we do that, let's remember this about prophecy. A prophetic, prophetic action will be repeated in a later generation. However, it will not be identical to how it happened before. First of all, it will suit that generation. I don't expect a, a hail of arrows to come flying into the United States, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if missiles came. <laughs> in fact, the Israeli uh, military defense is called the Arrow Missile System. So there might be some kind of uh, sense of humor, some irony there, even with the modern weapon systems. Secondly, these fulfillments, they can occur in a different order. They don't have to occur in the same order, or it may repeat itself only partly. It may not be all 10 plagues. He might select this one or this one. It doesn't have to be all 10 within the same small time period. So keeping that in mind, number one, Attacking the source of fresh water is blood. Number two, the besieging force that uses sound to frighten and to confuse you, that is the frogs. Number three, a hail of arrows is going to be the lice or the gnats, little biting things. They'll get up, they'll burrow into your skin. That's what they do. Number four, the foreign mercenaries are the wild beasts. Number five, the seizing of captains, captains, I can't talk today, <laughs> and I'm reading it. <laughs> seizing captives is pestilence. Remember COVID keeping us in the house for a while? Isn't this weird that they figured this out a thousand years ago? Actually longer than that if you look at the tactic itself. Number six, burning corresponds to boils. In fact, one of the plagues of leprosy grows out of a boil. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a burning, um, and it's a boil that's started out of a burn, specifically. Number seven, the heavy bombardment is going to be hail, H-A-I-L, <laughs> probably be hell too, but hail, and you might put in brackets all plagues. Contained within the heavy bombardment, all the, it's considered as heavy as every single plague, and, and we'll look at the scripture that says that. Number eight, the large army attack is the locusts. Number nine, imprisonment is darkness, and um, we'll talk about the depression that the rabbi brought up that's part of the darkness. And the final one, execution of leaders, number 10, is the death of the firstborn. Okay, so just to remind you, remember these plagues, they can be interconnected like siege tactics. You might have one attack ongoing, and then another one come in over the top of it, if that makes sense. Or you might merge two. You might have flying arrows that are on fire. Remember, the hail was on fire. There was fire in the hail, is what scripture says. So don't expect to see them like in little boxes. Expect to see some interconnection and some overlapping. Like polluted water can become a pestilence. It can become an epidemic. A locust is a kind of a wild beast. So in Revelation, don't get thrown off if you see things overlapping or if there seems to be an adjustment in the battle plan, that shouldn't surprise you because we know the principles of prophecy. What you do need to do though, and this is what's very important just for this little mini lesson, when you're looking as we go through the 10 plagues, always go back to the full context. I can't put full context in a, in a slide. 
But if you will go check the full context, it should tip you off as to whether this particular plague is aimed more at punishment of the nations or whether it's the discipline of Israel, which can turn into punishment if they don't repent. But you can't really tell that from one or two verses. But if you go back and look at the context, and it might be he's doing both at the same time. Like right now, it might be, you know, do believers go through depression? Sure we do. We have those places, and, you know, for the most part, a little bit of depression is normal. It's part of the, the cycle of life. You go through the depressions, you deal with whatever it is you need to deal with, and then he brings you out, and then you might go through another one. Um, it's when you can't pull out that it's, it's a problem. But normal people go through normal depressions, and it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means you're normal. But again, it's, we don't want this to turn into a punishment. We want to repent of whatever it is he's dealing with us so we can pull out and get on to the next, <laughs> next bad thing that's going to happen. Right? <laughs> The good news is once you kind of get used to the cycle, it's not scary anymore. Because I know when I was a teenager especially, I would have periods of depression. And I would think I was the only one in the world that felt like that. And then as you get older and you talk to people, you realize, well, everybody pretty much goes through that. Unless they're on drugs, you know, and then they're just numbing it. That's all they're doing. <laughs> they're, that's which the amount of drug use that we're seeing today should tell us something about how many people are dealing with depression, and that's the only thing they know to do. So we want to offer them a different way of dealing with it. Again, but context will tell us in Revelation whether he's dealing with both of us at the same time, like the plague of blood, it hit everybody. The frogs hit everybody. But there did come a point where he says, I'm going to start to make a a distinguishing in the plague, this will not affect the Israelites, this will. So we wanna hang in there through those first testing periods. All right, so we've got about 12 minutes, and in that 12 minutes, we'll work through maybe the first or the second plague, and then next week on the live stream, I can finish out the plagues. And I think that'll give us, like I said, if YouTube lets it stay up there, if it won't, we can always make a downloadable file, <laughs> put it on Odyssey. I think it gives us specific things to look around and say, that's what that is. That explains what's going on right here. I don't need to be afraid of that or be confused by it. Main thing is don't be confused by it. If you feel like you're a little confused, and I've had people tell me that, people who said, well, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said this was wrong because the Bible says it's wrong, but now I just don't know. It just doesn't seem very compassionate. I'm like, okay, so now you're more compassionate than God. <laughs> That's a new one. But it's our generation, right? That's our generation. We have to recognize he's dealing with us in our generation. So first of all, uh, blood, number one. This is where the sources of fresh water are polluted. And it goes beyond just, yes, do we have water pollution today? We absolutely do. I think the natural will reflect what's happening in spiritual realms. If you go to a beach today, you'll get all sorts of trash. I mean, wear your shower shoes or whatever. <laughs> Don't go out even into the beach barefoot, because I have stepped on glass in a beach that looked otherwise pretty nice, but there's trash everywhere. As Rashi's discussing this pollution of the fresh water, his idea is that the Nile itself didn't look bloody. It was only when you tried to use it that it turned. He says it will turn to blood. 
it. That's the way they're reading it. When you took it out to use it, it turned to blood. It was revealed for what it was. Even the fish died from its deadly properties. As they tried to use the water for life, it killed them. It doesn't mean the water was blood. It means it was turned to blood. It was turned into death. And so maybe as you go down and you draw a pitcher of water out, you carry that water up to your house, you start to pour it out to cook or to get a drink of water, all of a sudden now it turns to blood. It might look okay on the exterior, but once you start trying to use it, you'll find out there's death in the pot. Remember that? <laughs> oh my Lord, there's death in the pot. And so what can we compare water to? The Word. There's so many words out there in the universe today. I mean, we're even sending messages to aliens <laughs> on distant planets. <laughs> There's so many words out there in the world today, but which of those words is clean, pure, and life-giving? The written word, it is written. The rest of it is fueled by, I think I feel I want, especially I want. Yeah, we hear Babylon, right? When you're drinking, I think I feel I want, you're gonna find that it turns into death for you. You're just trying to deal with your soul, but you're disregarding the discipline of the spirit, which is based on it is written, which tells you if this did, and I think it did, affect the Israelites, the Israelites were also drinking deadly words. They were drinking a lot of, I think I feel I want. And now once this plague starts, as they're like, oh my goodness, what is that? It kind of opened their eyes to what they had been ingesting. And it says they're going to become weary of trying to find fresh water. That's Exodus 7:18. You're just going to get tired. Are you tired all the time? It's because there's so much water out there, but it's polluted water. And it's trying to find its way inside of you. And you spend all your day trying to differentiate between it is written and I think I feel I want. Or the people around you who simply operate on I think I feel I want. And so we have to, if we want to say, okay, I don't want to become weary in this plague. I think you probably will anyway, because you're in a constant decision-making process. If you're around other people, if you have the internet, if you have television, if you have the radio, anyway words are coming into you, there is the potential there for you to be ingesting bloody words. The antidote for this is start focusing on it is written. Forget, I think, I feel, I want. Remember, when you forget it is written, that's when you get plagues. Don't be a forgetful hearer. Don't get out in the wilderness and forget and get a plague. You say, okay, this was written for my instruction. I don't want this plague. It's trying to get into me, but I don't want this plague. So I have to focus my mind. When I get stuck in the I think I feel I want, and I'm surrounded by people who think, feel, and want, and that's what drives their lives. I have to go back to, it is written, it is written, it is written. That's how Yeshua made it through 40 days in the wilderness. If it's good enough for Yeshua, it's good enough for you. That's the old time religion. So be careful about drawing too deeply from the words of the media. And I know that hurts, because at the end of the week, we tend to know more about what's on the daily news than what's in the Torah portion. If you want that to change, then move the emphasis. Doesn't hurt to know your times. Hit the headlines. Know if you're under a boil water ban. <laughs> we hit that last week. We, we got to the, the store and it's like it's shut down because the town is under a boil water ban. They can't open the, the food shop, the deli shop. I'm like, should we be boiling our water? 
And so we had to go find out. And Oh, no, we're in a different county, different water source. But we, we can know the times, but we don't have to drink the words, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. The Internet is especially deadly. Everything gets caught in a net, right? You might get a nice tuna fish. You might get a water bottle. You might get an anchor. You might get all sorts of debris in that net. In fact, I think more and more if you talk to fishermen, that is what they're doing. <laughs> or you, you're on the bank once, you know, and you're really like, I got a big one, I got a big one, I got a big one, and you got a shoe. It's somebody's shoe. <laughs> yeah, you got a big one, all right. Well, there's lots of stuff to be caught. It doesn't mean you have to reel it all in. Be careful where you're fishing. If you know where the clean fish are, fish there. If you can find a news source, that doesn't have a deep bias, it's still not going to be perfect. But it might be a little cleaner than the water you're currently feeding in. We don't want a fish kill. Here's how Revelation describes this. Revelation 8, 8 through 11, it says, The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire. We know the mountain is the Torah. The mountains are the nations. The great mountain is the Torah. It's the word. It proves and tests everything. A great mountain burning with fire, the Torah is a fire, was thrown into the sea. The sea is the nations. And a third of the nations, the sea, became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood and a third of the waters became wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Did that happen in the wilderness to the Israelites? Absolutely. It did. The waters of strife. It wasn't just the, the bloody Nile. It also happened in the wilderness. So again, it's, it's very important that we be very careful with the words that we're allowing to come in. Because that, again, will take us to the next plague, which is the sound. Remember the shofar sound, it scares the enemy. Well, he can use frogs, croaking frogs, demons, lying spirits to come into your ears, and you could actually entertain it, even though there's death in it. Revelation 16, 3 through 7, it says, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, the nations, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you, O Holy One. Oh, righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One. Because you judged, that's, that's a key, you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. That's not accidental language. In Exodus 7.1, the king of kings tells Moses, I will make you Elohim to Pharaoh. And Elohim is a judge. I will make you judge to Pharaoh. I will make, see the play on words there? Elohim is Elohim with a big E as well. Elohim with a small E is a judge. So he's saying, I'm going to give you my words, and that is going to make you Elohim. You're going to bring my judgments upon Pharaoh. And so that's really the question. But that's the question. If we have the word in us, then he is making us like 
Elohim to the kings of the earth. He's making us like judges because what are we bringing? The word. We're bringing his word. We're putting a mouth to it. And Pharaoh will either hear frogs or he will hear it is written. We're here because we heard it is written. We're here because we heard a shofar. We don't have to hear frogs. We don't have to drink blood. We've got the pure springs of water that Yeshua promised us at Sukkot. He said, come to me and drink. And there will be a never-ending fresh spring coming up inside of you because it's coming from the heavenly source. The more we focus on heavenly words, the less we have to deal with the pollution that's being thrown at us from every source. From every place you can find a word, bloody stuff is getting thrown at us. And you can't get out of the world, folks. There's only one way out. And it's not in your hand to decide when. Even people think it is, it's not. It's in his hand to decide when we exit this earth. So until we exit this earth or we're resurrected, then it's going to be up to us to differentiate between the bloody words and the pure words. Because those who drink the bloody words, it's real clear, they become dead men. And so as a discipline for us, what's happening? I think he's asking us to make decisions on what we're reading and listening to and to choose more and more and more the words of life. That's just discipline. It's not punishment. It's not punishment. It might feel like it is because we're vexed. Remember him saying how uh, the just lot was vexed by the wicked behavior around him? Are we vexed when we see this wicked behavior around us? You bet, because we've got a fresh spring inside of us. So talk louder, talk louder, the fresh spring of life of the world. And at least it'll be harder to hear the blood, if that makes sense. It'll be harder to hear the frogs croaking. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.